Good morning, Elevation. It's good to be with you again this morning. Uh, and for those who might be joining in for the first time, I just want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm the lead pastor, and we're glad to have you with us here as our Elevation community continues to meet during these unusual times. Back in the fall, when I mapped out our sermon series for 2020, I gave this message a title that I think fits just about right given the state of our world right now. Now what? The idea was to explore what it would have been like for Jesus' disciples on the other side of his resurrection. And while we will talk about that this morning, what I couldn't have imagined in October, what only the wildest conspiracy theorists were imagining, was that this very question would be ringing in all of our ears for five weeks and counting. Now what? It's a question that can actually be asked two different ways. The first in response to the constantly changing situation that we find ourselves in, as in, now what? Like at first, we were told that we had to put hand sanitizer on all the time when we went out. Uh, but then we were told that, no, we can't actually even shake people's hands, even if we do have hand sanitizer on. And then we were told, no, actually, we're not even going to not shake people's hands, but we have to stay six feet apart from one another. And then we were told, even when you're six feet apart, now we're being, it's recommended that we wear a mask over our face. So, so now what? What's the next thing coming? But it's the second way that we can ask this question that I want us to talk about this morning. The way we ask it when we look ahead and have no idea what to expect. Now what am I supposed to do? Now what is going to happen to me? Now what kind of a world are we going to be living in? Now what will my future look like? Before the second week of March, every one of us had an idea of where life was heading. We may or may not have liked that trajectory, but for the most part, we had a decent handle on what that trajectory was. And there was comfort in this, even if we didn't appreciate it at the time. Since the second week of March, our home lives have been disrupted. Our work lives have been disrupted. Our social lives have been disrupted. Since the second week of March, Jobs have been put on hold. Travel plans have been canceled. Graduation ceremonies hang in the air, along with a lot of other things. I saw an image that you may have seen as well online this week. Uh, it's a picture of how the air quality has changed in cities like Beijing. And the image on the left <clears throat> shows the clear air on the other side of a reduced uh, number of traffic and reduced number of factories working. Uh, the picture on the other side shows the normally polluted air. And it gives us this interesting picture of how things have changed. But I actually think that our ability to answer this question makes us feel like things have gone in the other direction. Like when it comes to the future, the image on the right, the one with the smog and the pollution, is kind of what it feels like when we try to look too far ahead right now, isn't it? Not that long ago, we were asking questions about how many weeks this was going to drag out. Now the conversation has shifted to how many months? This week I went to get groceries and we're trying to be responsible, trying to spread out our trips and stay inside as much as we can. And so we decided, all right, well, let's try to get two weeks worth of groceries. Now that's a task for a family of five with three teenagers who are home all the time and hungry all the time. And I was also getting a bunch of groceries for a neighbor who reached out and said that she could use some help. So I'm pushing this cart around and it's getting heavier and heavier and more full. And there's certain things on the list that I'm not finding. And as I'm pushing it around, you know, I have this mask over my face and it's getting just a little harder to breathe as the time went, went along. I got to the checkout line and the cashier was like, 
wow, that is impressive. I'm like, I know, like that's a lot of groceries in one cart. Uh, but I was thinking about it after the fact, how this image of me pushing this grocery cart around actually is kind of what life feels like right now. It feels heavy, it feels frustrating. And sometimes it actually feels hard to breathe. This isn't easy. I want you to say that with me this time, okay? This isn't easy. Now, okay, I won't call you out by name, but I see you sitting on the couch and you didn't actually say it out loud. I think there could be value if we just speak these words out. All right, so we're going to try this one more time together. This isn't easy. Scott Peck in his popular book, The Road Less Traveled, writes that life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we see this truth, we transcend it. There's something about acknowledging the difficulty of the situation we find ourselves in. Now, each of us is experiencing this differently, of course. I listened to a great podcast this week where the hosts were talking about different personality types. They were specifically talking about introverts and extroverts and how this is a ex different experience for them. And then they broke it down into a couple of different categories. They talked about uh, extroverts who are living with a bunch of people. And they talked about extroverts who are living alone. And they talked about introverts who are on their own. And they talked about introverts who are living with a bunch of people and how the challenges are different and unique for each of these subsets. Our difficulties aren't comparative. Looking at the person beside us or someone else we read about uh, and saying, well, they have it worse or they have it better. That doesn't really help because we're all experiencing this isolation in our own ways. Some of us don't have enough time. Some of us have too much time. Some of us don't have enough people around us. Some of us have too many people around us. Some of us are working reduced hours. Some of us are working overtime. Some of us are afraid of losing our jobs. Some of us are afraid we'll have to lay people off. Some of us are afraid for ourselves. Some of us are afraid for our kids or for our parents or for our friends. Some of us love all this time with family. Some of us wish we could trade in for a new family for a few weeks. Some of us are healthy. Some of us are unwell and we're worried about it. Some of us are worried about retirement savings. Some of us are worried about paying for groceries. Some of us are growing closer to our spouses. Some of us can't stop fighting with our spouses. Some of us can't wait for things to get back to normal. Some of us hated normal and hope we don't ever get back to it. Some of us are growing in our faith. Some of us feel like we're losing faith. Some of us are running out of money. Some of us are running out of hope. Some of us are bored. Some of us are anxious. Some of us are angry. Some of us are afraid. Some of us are excited. Some of us are confused. Some of us don't know what the heck we are. And pretty much all of us flip back and forth between these and other emotions over the course of a week or a day, sometimes even over the course of an hour. As Maria Popova writes, we are a world of hostages to a sub-microscopic assailant, a world of refugees from ordinary life, struggling for safety, sanity, and survival of body and soul. I want us to explore this question, now what? And see if we can discover how God might be working in the midst of this bizarre stretch of history we're experiencing together. So in our first reading, it comes from John chapter 20, verse 19. 
on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders. Okay, I'm just going to pause it right there. The disciples had been through a harrowing couple of days. Jesus, their friend and their leader, had been arrested, tried, and executed all in less than 24 hours. If any group of people ever had a right to ask the question, now what? It was this group. And so what did they do? They locked themselves in a room because they were afraid. Now their fear was entirely reasonable. It was rooted in very real circumstances. It says that they were afraid of the Jewish leaders because these Jewish leaders had just arrested Jesus on trumped up charges and had had him arrested and condemned to death by the Roman governor. And so they realized that they might be coming after them to do the exact same thing. So again, their fear was rooted in something very real. I came across a great story in the news this week, and I was thinking that like I could just end there. Like the fact that I came across a good news story is actually just great to hear. Um, but I'll tell you the story. Uh, I'll put an image up here that, and I'll read the paragraph that describes what happened. A surprise company outing to an airbase caused a 64-year-old French man so much stress that he flung himself from a fighter jet in midair, grabbing the ejector button in panic and tumbling through the skies above France before landing in a field. So I don't know what the deal is. I mean, we're not supposed to be doing social outings, but this company decided, you know, we need to honor our boss here. We need to do something exciting for him. So they rent this fighter jet. He's scared out of his mind. He hits the eject button by accident and out he goes. Few of us actually want to be in a stressful situation like that. And the disciples, they were no exception. As Nobel Prize winner Paul Romer writes, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And so there they are in the midst of this crisis huddled in this room. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. We lock ourselves in our rooms for all kinds of reasons, many of them related to something that we're afraid of. And I believe that Jesus wants to offer the same peace to us. There's so much to love about this story, including the way that Jesus entered the room. I mean, remember, they had locked the door. So he comes in either through the locked door or through the wall, whatever he does, but he's there. It's almost like the locked door was an invitation. Like the disciples' fear was a signal call, like the bat signal, you know, broadcasting up into the sky and the, the dark night sees it and comes to the rescue. It's like Jesus is wherever he is in that moment. He hears the click of the door shut and he's like, okay, now is the time for me to show up. It makes me wonder if this lockdown of ours might be creating just the right circumstances for us to encounter Jesus ourselves. Jesus showed up in the middle of their now what moment. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now remember, we're told the disciples were afraid of the Jewish leaders, but Jesus doesn't take them out of the picture. Instead, he gives the disciples what they need to face up to their fears. He gives them the presence of God in a new and wonderful way. As Keith Richards and Mick Jagger once wrote, you can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes you might just get what you need. Before his death and resurrection, Jesus repeatedly told his followers that it was actually a good thing that he was leaving them. In John 16, 7, we read, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
After the encounter with Jesus in the locked room, the disciples gathered in Jerusalem along with a wider group of Jesus' followers where they all received the Holy Spirit in dramatic fashion. We read in Acts 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Well, what does it mean that they received the Holy Spirit? As a future church leader named Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Now, this is profound. If you think back about the way that God had interacted with his people down through the years, our first glimpses were of God dwelling in a, in a tabernacle and eventually a temple, God being in one place in the entire world, a place that was only accessible by the high priest and only on one day of the year. And so, so God's presence is very restricted. And then we hear about this incredible thing that happens as God is incarnate in Jesus and Jesus begins to walk among us and thousands of people interact with God kind of in this face-to-face -face way. But now here on the other side of Pentecost, it is God dwelling in people, people like you and I. Now, there's no doubt that Jesus' death and resurrection was very good news for humanity. But what we read about in Acts 2 brings the good news really close to home. Something about the disciples' encounter with Jesus and the subsequent experience with the Holy Spirit transformed their fear and launched them out into the world. Peter gets up and he preaches a powerful confrontational sermon showing zero signs of the fear that only a few weeks prior had him locking himself up in a room. You, he says, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross, but God raised him from the dead. You see, Jesus wasn't the only one whose life had been resurrected. Peter's life has been resurrected from fear into boldness. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, scripture says, and Peter said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And this here is the question that gave me the idea for this sermon in the first place. Just as the disciples were left wondering, now what, when Jesus was hung on that cross, these crowds were now equally unsure of what all this meant for them, asking, now what? We've heard you talk about Jesus. We, we saw Jesus' miracles. We heard his teaching. We're hearing the news of him being raised from the dead, but but now what? What do we do? It's a question that I hope everyone hearing this will ask at some point. Many of us have asked that question. Now what? And we've responded. And, and some of you might just be asking that for the first time. I'm hearing about the story of Jesus. I'm hearing about this for the first time. Or, or I never thought this had something to do with my life. And we need to ask the question, now what? What do we do with our lives? Peter replied to the crowd. He said, repent and be baptized. Repent is a way, a, a word that means to change the orientation of your life, to change the way that you think and live in the world, turn around, face a new direction, orient yourself around Jesus, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter's words remind us that we should expect the same gift, the same presence that we read about in Acts chapter 2. Jesus showed up in the middle of the disciples' now what moment and promised that he would show up in the middle of ours too by sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. When I was, I think, four and a half years old, our family moved. We moved from Waterloo to Kitchener. Dramatic. Well, for a four and a half year old, it is. 
And one of the things that happened when we moved is we brought two cats with us. We had two cats. Their names were Tut and Farouk. My parents were hippies. What can I say? Um, so we brought these cats with us, but they had a really difficult time adjusting to the new house. I can remember, I have a couple of snapshots in my mind. One of the, one of the cats like tumbling down the stairs, another of one of them just running full on into the wall. And what I remember of the time is that my parents said that they couldn't adjust to this new environment that they were in. And so they ended up giving these cats away to a family who had a farm and a lot more space where they would be able to run around. And, and it was sad for us in the moment. I honestly haven't thought of that in a long time. I haven't thought of that in years. But I was thinking about it this week because here we are in this season of significant change and it's not easy for us to adapt. Some of us are stumbling down the stairs. Some of us are running headlong into the wall. And I think probably a lot of us wish that we would be sent away to a farm where we could just kind of be on our own for a while. Now, this may come as a disappointment to you, but just as Jesus didn't take the Jewish leaders out of the picture, uh, chances are he won't take away the mess we're in either. None of us know how all of this is going to work out. The best answer to our question, now what, might just be the most honest answer. Who knows? In the words of N.T. Wright, all Christian language about the future is a set of signposts pointing into a mist. Signposts don't normally provide you with advanced photographs of what you'll find at the end of the road, but that doesn't mean that they're not pointing in the right direction. They are telling you the truth, the particular sort of truth that can be told about the future. The truth is that as we choose to orient our lives around Jesus, as we invite him to walk through the walls of our own now what moments, the same Holy Spirit from Acts chapter 2 will be with us to comfort us and to empower us. And then a response like, who knows, can actually become an exciting answer. Because when Jesus shows up, in the middle of our unsettling moments, he also sends us out to do the same for others. Probably many of us have seen this image out of Rio de Janeiro this week of Christ the Redeemer, this famous iconic statue at the heart of the city, uh, which was lit up as a doctor. They had lights shining up on the statue to make Jesus appear as a doctor. And it's a way to honor health care workers, people working on the front lines of this health crisis. But I looked at that and I thought, you know what? That's exactly what the world needs right now. The world needs people to, to be Jesus in their professions, to be Jesus in their homes, in their neighborhoods, on their social networks. We need to find ways of bringing light and life to our world. We have an incredible opportunity in these days to bring the presence of God that dwells within us out into a world that desperately needs some good news. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 5, Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. I want to leave you this morning with an image that I came across of the Himalayas. The peaks of the Himalayans are visible in parts of India for the first time in decades. It's this beautiful idea and a beautiful image that in some ways, the future that we're looking into is like looking into mist or a fog, it's uncertain. But in another way, uh, the fog and the pollution is starting to clear and the future is looking pretty bright. 
So that's the image that I want to leave you with today. As we have been doing the last few weeks, we're going to be doing our usual discussion groups in Hangouts or on Zoom calls. So for those who are part of a neighbors group at Elevation, we'd invite you to hop on to that either immediately following the service or a little later if that's what you've scheduled with your group. We encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, if you're joining us online and haven't been connected with our neighbors groups in the past, there'll be a link in the comment section for you right now, and that'll help you get connected. It's an opportunity for us to check in with one another, see how we're doing, and also uh, to talk about this morning's theme. Before we go, I'm going to pray. Lord, I'm grateful for this story. I'm grateful for the story of you walking into a situation that was just gripped in fear. I'm grateful for you letting us know that, that in the midst of all of our confusion, in the midst of our wondering now what, you send your presence into our lives to dwell in us. God, there's a lot for us to be thankful for. There's a lot that's weighing us down though. This is a season that is heavy. It's a season that is frustrating. It's a season that sometimes makes us lose our breath a little bit. And so I pray that you would walk into our lives this morning, right now, and throughout this week, and that you would speak those words of peace, that you would remind us that your presence is with us. Go with us into this week ahead. In Christ's name, amen.